1: Welcome to the Third Men Podcast. This is a Jack White history podcast and uh, we go over Jack White films and albums and television shows, all that good stuff. And uh, I am your co-host, Paul Kaminsky. Heroo, and I'm your other co-host Carl Br- Oh, Carl Howdy-do, Paul oh, Howdy-do, are we doing howdy-do these days? That's nice, how's things going on the turkey farm? Hold on, I know you have to take a sip of that sweet tea You've got there, over there You, you love oh, sweet tea, don't
2: you, Carl? It's not sweet tea, it's ground-up turkeys Uh, now Crushed and powdered And b- b- boiled <laughs> <laughs> Nothing finer than Just a fine, sweet turkey beverage. (laughs) So you've got, you've taken. (laughs) The coolie man's got nothing on me.
1: You've taken a live animal and pulverized it. So it's more like sad tea. Yeah, Carl. Thank you so much for joining me today. James is out sick, and uh, you know Mm. we we we're gonna we're gonna talk about some listener questions this week, Carl. And I know you're really. He doesn't have
2: that turkey flu, now does he? (laughs) If you eat the giblets.
1: He did eat the giblets. He was using your patented turkey ripper to obtain those giblets. And that's mainly (laughs) eyeballs and, I want to say, the beak, nostril, just the beak-nostril area. The The
2: FDA's been on my ass about this. You better not sue. Yeah.
1: Well, uh, Carl, are you uh, are you excited about about joining us on the show here? So you've only ever had sort of guest spots. This is your first time ever, kind of uh, you know, joining us live. And I'm wondering just what you're feeling. Are you nervous? Are you excited? Or maybe a little hurt,
2: being as this is the first time you've ever asked for me to be <laughs> on the show. <laughs> oh, I see. I, I've heard I've heard tell most people enjoy the Carl Butterball voice. Oh, wow. Well. They don't.
1: Well, Carl, you're not gonna believe this. I already don't believe it. Now, while you take that comically large sip of pulverized turkey tea, I'm actually getting a text message from James, and it sounds like he's he's feeling better, and he he actually you're not needed anymore. Not
2: needed. Yeah. Oh, I'm gonna have I'll to. I'll tell you what's needed. Yeah. You need the turkey dough in this new turkey bread. You take the pulverized turkey dust, okay, and you just work it into that okay. dough. You just work. It. You know the warbles can be heard as you're working it.
1: Yeah, you know, I mean, look, I think you got to head back to Shady Pines, uh, Home for the Aged, and uh, you know... Don't
2: send me back!
1: You can uh, continue to tell the doctors there how you believe yourself to be a turkey tycoon. Lots of people live out their whole lives. My great aunt thought she was Joan of Arc.
2: (sighs) They keep trying to convince me that I'm not Chris Kringle. (laughs) And I know that I'm Carl Butterball of the Butterball Turkey Turkey Farm. Hey,
1: thank you, Carl. I see James walking. James, can you can you come up Before here? Before I go,
2: make sure you send all your postcards addressed to Carl Butterball, because that means I'm real. Okay. Well, maybe we didn't do something good after all. <laughs> <laughs> Goodbye. Oh. <laughs>
1: oh, good. Here comes James. Jesus, who was that, like, strange southern gentleman who tried to hit me with his cane? James, I tell you, he's been joining this show on and off for the past three years, and I I still have no idea. I For three years? Three years. Has it just been on my bathroom breaks? (laughs) Welcome to the real introduction to the Third Men podcast. Hold on, he left a drink here. It tastes like Thanksgiving. (laughs) If you couldn't tell, this is a Jack White History (laughs) podcast. I'm your co-host, James Kaminsky. Oh, Lord. I've just been sitting here waiting for you to tire yourself out with the turkey voice. Well, James, you know, this week, even though Carl's not here, I'm still very excited because every season we get together around the old pod fire and do a listener questions episode where we answer Mm. questions about... The Third Man World, the podcast, music in general, various turkey related gentlemen, different characters that people tolerate. And this is our third. Is this our third? I feel like it's our third. It's our second official full episode. During these listener question episodes, mm-hmm. people ask us questions. Yeah. Typically, they're listeners, and we answer them mm-hmm. as best as we can. I know you already explained this, but I'm tired. And I'm explaining it again. Yeah, once again, we've roused James from slumber to record one of these shows. James. Yes. Yes. It's been... One week since you looked at... Almost two full calendar years since we did a listener questions specific episode. The last time we did one of these was July 26th, 2017. Oh man, simpler times, am I right? We had James, it followed the Fats Kaplan interview And the first time we did the Whorehound tour (laughs) (laughs) We've already done the Whorehound tour twice before we already did this episode (laughs) But James, we promise I can't believe this intro is still going on We promise every time you send us a listener question That we will answer it on the show So this is that promise fulfilled We feel good about it I know I do, James And I think we might have to do something else before we start doing that yeah. Well, Paul, this is a brand new segment that I'd like to call, Well, Every Morning I Deliver the News.
2: Whoa, I like it. Black hat, white and Well, every morning I deliver the news. new.
1: This is a segment in which we go over uh, something new in the Jack White world, specifically a new music video that has come out. Recently, hey. The and Tours, Help Me Stranger, Paul, did you see the music video? I did. I did see this music video. It's got, uh, let me tell you, I'm very excited for this and Tours album. Yeah. I really liked Now That You're Gone and i yeah. really i like the live sunday driver a whole lot and the uh, donovan covers quite nice this was so this was interesting this was interesting should, should i go first or do you want to go first what did you think of it james i want to hear your opinions so i i had set the reminder it's the first time that they they had this option where you could watch the premiere of the video live it looks like third man is really embracing yeah. the uh, the the internet age as it were with this album they're really i marketing that. it Quite well. I, I noticed uh, so, that, yeah. Uh, like uh, Boarding yeah. House Reach sta- started to do that too, mm-hmm. and I think this is a continuation of that. You know, uh, Boarding House Reach brought us the Instagram feed. is yes. very active on Instagram, and yeah, so they're they're trying to stay contemporary. Third bands trying to stay cutting edge. It's it's apparent that as as old fashioned Jack's approach has seemed to, in the past, he, it is clearly important to either him or his marketing team or whoever that they stay vital in the age of um you know youtube premieres and instagram yeah. stories and this and that so uh yes and yeah. obviously obviously it's not the first time i mean they were on periscope for god's sake yeah, which nobody yeah. remembers periscope i guess that's true uh, <laughs> yeah and they had myspace music premieres now that you mention it yeah they all, i guess there always has been an attempt but, to embrace the current stuff yeah but they're they're definitely still they're staying, you know, current. They're they're using the, the tools at hand. So I uh I was at work, waited diligently until ten A. M. Yeah. It premiered. I was I was a part of the chat, the uh the live chat and got some people uh saying hello to me, so that was uh that was great. Hey, so some, awesome. some podcasts yeah, some podcast listeners were, were chiming in. Very cool. Yeah, and so the video premiered. It was I thought it was great. The the green undertones mm-hmm. were, were really Apparent, the, the, Yeah, the green uh, it, baby smoke. Oh, that's so good. When Jack does the little airplane and then the baby disappears into smoke. Handily my um, favorite part of the video. Loved that. Overall, I thought the video seemed more akin to the Broken Boy Soldiers era. It felt like a tours video. Yeah. Uh, I think a lot of that has to do with the seeing all four of them mm-hmm. uh, together, maybe turning towards the camera. Those scenes when they're all turning towards the camera. Right. It felt like they were back. And that's the first time I got that feeling watching any of the videos. Yeah, there, there's a whimsy to this one that's not really in the other ones, because now that you're gone, has that sort of slinky, sexy kind of feel with that model who's in it. And then Sunday Driver was yeah, had an energy, a lot of high energy. And I think that yeah. that one had some Broken Boy Soldiers undertones to it as well. And just in terms of pure, like, it, it reminded me a little of the, that Steady As She Goes videos that isn't the go-karts, you know, that sort of still frames moving quickly, kind of style yeah. this one i uh, i liked the video they looked like they were having fun it looked a- homegrown to me i got i got the vibe that it was thrown together whilst on tour primarily because we know they're in they were in japan very recently and yeah. a lot of it took place there and so it felt i think it because i was connected to the third man world and it just in terms of following it very closely the mystique of seeing Japanese signage and things was sort of busted down. And I was able to say, oh, well, they must've just done that on, they must've just done that on tour. You know, I like the, I liked the, uh, video. I think the song's okay. I really, I think it's going to be one that maybe grows on me. I was expecting it to be one that I liked more based on the live Videos we yeah. saw coming out of the Third Man yeah. ten year anniversary. It was a lot more powerful. Live, a lot felt pared down. Yeah, I, I uh, in this version. Yeah, I thought. I thought actually the studio version would have been a great opportunity to, to kick it up, uh, to do mm-hmm. some some weirder stuff with it. But it seemed out... we know people at Third Man listen to this. This is. I'm very excited for the new and Tour's album. It, yes, the stuff I've heard so far feels a little safe to me, and I think. I hope it's not an overreaction to Boarding House Reach being so not safe. Because that album was so crazy, it alienated a lot of people. And this one feels very, not predictable, but reliable, shall we say. Like a warm blanket. So far, nothing about it has really grabbed me and said this is the bold new direction. You know what I've noticed is that I can see influence from Boarding House Reach on this album, but it's... It's mostly instrumental. Yes, the congas have John Cena to their entrance into this. Bum, bada, bum. <laughs> like they're the congas are in. Yes, yeah, oh. yeah. and so and especially in this song, the congas are very self apparent. You know, you can hear them in a couple of other so- songs, such as like Hey Jip. I, I do it agree depends. with you. It, it it feels a little safe, and I I wouldn't say Hey Jip feels very safe to me. That feels like a a left turn. Kind of cover. I mean, granted, I'd expect that kind of cover from the Raconteurs, but it's a song that I a loved to hear and thought they did a really raucous version of. Uh, and I this song in particular, and Sunday Driver, maybe I feel are safe bets. Paul, can I say, those eyes at the end though, amazing. Love that. With the little laser eyes that are beaming into the camera at the end. I thought that was amazing. Yeah, you know, alright, so a couple other thoughts on this. I actually, I didn't rush to watch this one. I waited a day. So I find my excitement level for it a little lower. Whereas like, when Connected by Love was gonna premiere, I was
2: Mm. glued
1: to that thing. Uh, There was nothing gonna shake me. Same with City Lights. You know what? I don't mean to come across as not excited about this album. I am very excited about this album. I I guess I'm waiting for that song that's going to really, really, really grab me. And it hasn't happened yet. But that's okay because Ice Station Zebra was the one that really, really, really grabbed me on Mm. uh, uh, Boarding House Reach. And that was an album cut. I also am a little annoyed that I'm going to know like over a quarter of this album before it even comes out because it destroys the uh, the experience of like being able to just listen to the thing all the way through and not know any of it yeah i feel that i mean i feel a lot of that has to do with the lack of b-sides the the singles that are coming out are singles with double a sides and so we're getting more of the album than we need so third man get some b-sides we need some b-sides gotta have those b-sides But uh, anyway, yeah, so this is a great new segment, James. I'm very excited about it. We have a poor connection on the Skype, but I'm going to power right through it. And uh, this has been Every Morning You Deliver the News. Yeah, now I read it in a newspaper. Go ask your girlfriends and see if they know. James. Let's let's answer some listener questions. Should, yeah, are we calling it listener let's... mail or listener questions? Can I call? can listener. I How about this? Can I call it listener mail? No. Okay. <laughs> what do we got first, James? You want to go first, do we should we go back and forth on this? Sure. We have plenty of listener questions. We have one here from Vito Hicks, friend of the show, The Flying Vito. Flying Vito. Who uh I just sent out the Carl Butterball sketch. Thank you very much yeah, for veto. your Yeah, Vito. Very sloppy review <laughs> yeah Vito is the first to submit his
2: just sloppy
1: review of the podcast on itunes and a promise oh. fulfilled james drew carl butterball and sent it to Vito. so again you can get a, a artwork original artwork by jay creator of carl butterball <laughs> james kaminsky <laughs> i just want it to be known Vito, at the end of his sloppy review, said, come to Brazil. And now the raconteurs <laughs> are coming to Brazil. Coincidence? I think not. That um, is very funny. Vito asks, what is an episode you've wanted to do but just can't seem to get together? Oh, it's a good and question. That is an amazing question. It's a very good question. Holy crap. All right, Vito. Vito, I just want you to know, there is one episode that I have told Paul about I've had a name for the episode, and I was very excited for the name, and don't really want to do the research for, and that episode is Jack White's Pole Vaulting, and it's an entire episode (laughs) devoted to Jack White's Polish heritage, and I don't think I will ever do it, but the title, if we are ever to do it, it's on the list, is Pole Vaulting. Yeah, so we keep a master list of our episodes, and when we've got a slate coming up, we try and populate the slate. And there's a couple episode ideas we've had that just keep getting bumped down the list. And pole vaulting has literally been on this list for over a year, and we keep not not wanting to do it. I've texted Paul at, like, 2 in the morning, very excited about this
2: episode.
1: Yeah, he did. It's nuts. So we've got that one. Uh, there's a couple interviews that... We got real close on and just weren't able to sort of seal the deal, which I don't really mm. want to get into too much because they may happen in the future. Let's just say we've talked to, I'm, I can think of at least three at pretty least. big ones that we got close on and still there's might happen. one that we almost, yeah, this one that we were like days away from recording and that didn't happen, but that's okay. I mean... It these things happen. People have schedules, and uh, on a tiered list, we are very low on their tiered list. Uh, quite often. <laughs> well, I guess um, we can say that one since we're since we're being so coy about it. I guess we can say that one because it's it's no hard feelings that he doesn't want to do it. But I guess we could say that Ben Swank was going yeah. to appear on the show to offer a rebuttal to uh, Johnny Walker. And then ultimately decided he would prefer to stay in the shadows and and not appear on the show, which is totally cool, by the way, totally fine. Yeah. And yeah, no, no, uh, we, we get it. Yeah, obviously we're ha- we're surprised and happy that anyone wants to talk to us. Literally anyone. True. And you know, it still might happen in the future. But yeah, there have been a couple of those. And then there's actually an episode that James and I recorded just an intro for yeah, two years ago. I was going to mention this used. one too. <laughs> Yeah, so we have an episode... Like an animals one. We have an episode about Jack White's connection to animals, which, you know, on the list of weird topics is certainly pretty <laughs> high. And we recorded a just this unused intro. Now, our intros are pretty pathetic to begin with, and this is one that we just promised that fishing trip, and we just left on that uh-huh. stoop. And uh-huh. it's currently sitting pretty in the uh the old archives there so maybe we'll get back to jack white's animals someday animals yeah <laughs> yeah so anyway there's been a few uh, we usually do everything we set out to do some twice yeah we, we also recorded a youtube this is our youtube channel thing that just didn't i just didn't edit i just didn't <laughs> that's edit right. it. that's really bad of me and that's it happens it, these things happen. It's a really great question, Vito, but so thank you very much. So I guess the uh, answer to that question is there's been a lot. We'll move on to another one here. This one's from Josh Aiken or Joe Shaken, depending on what side you're on. And he asks... Joe Shaken all over, as we've called him. That's right. And he asks, would you be interested in a Meg White solo project? If hmm. Meg formed a super group, who would be in the band... And what would you call it? I, I, you know, it's funny because I was talking about this yesterday. Somebody asked me seriously, like, what has Meg done since the stripes? And I said, well, she just walked away. She just walked away. And he's yeah. like, you, she just left music completely. I said, yeah, she just had enough and left. I don't think, I don't think we're ever going to get anything from her, let alone a solo project. I mean, she's not, like, the kind of drummer who guests on other people's songs or anything like that. Would I be interested in a Meg White solo project? Of course I would, because, like, that would be crazy. She's not really a songwriter, but she obviously has a sound, and uh, that would be, I think, very very interesting. I would be very interested to hear that. I'm not sure what it would really sound like. Yeah. So I don't really know what I would expect from a project like that. I have a feeling it would be some kind of collaboration with uh, someone in her orbit musically. But honestly, I don't even at this point know who or what that would be or look like. I think the most we're going to get is a Rock and Roll Hall of Fame performance, which I'm still holding out hope for, and that's yeah. all I got. Detroit is, is holding Meg close and sacred. Yes. She's sta- steering clear of media st- spotlight. There's a couple photos here and there of people who have chance encountered her right. uh, since then, which is great. It's great to see that she's still you know out and about. I, I'm not expecting her to do anything in, pub- in the public eye for quite some time. Right. And uh, you know what? She's entitled to that. Uh, I think Johnny Walker would do a great Two piece ensemble band with her, there's a lot of Detroit natives who probably yeah. could do that, yeah, I imagine it would yeah, you're right. it would be someone someone from that neighborhood. you know it'd be great, I think, and attainable for perhaps Co we should lobby Co to have her on her Ooh. show on little Steven's underground garage because that's a safe space, and you know Co is going to be respectful and nice and all that stuff, so I think, James, next time we speak to Co, we should really lobby for her to include Meg in her radio program. We can lobby, like the tobacco or firearms or any of those lobbies. The safest of lobbies. The ones who everybody trusts. Right. The Holiday Inn (laughs) lobby, Hobby Lobby. These are all good answers. So, let's move on to another
2: question.
1: Uh, James, what do you say you take the next one here? So, our next question comes from... Callie Durga, our third person in spirit every week. I think this list of questions is so old. It's Tam Davis now. <laughs> You're right. <laughs> um, and she, at this point, she knows about this question, but we're going to answer it anyway. That's right. Because that's our promise to you, the listeners. If you yeah. ask a question, whether or not we've answered it in the past, <laughs> we're going to answer it again. Uh, she wants to know a little bit more about what we do for a living. Paul. Yeah. Other than be professionally embarrassed. Yeah, we should keep this brief, (laughs) mind you, uh, because I'm sure this is not top of mind for everybody. James, why don't you go into detail about your career as a rodeo clown? Yes. No, I sit in barrels. I wait for bulls to charge at me and strike me. And I learned all of this from the Conquest video. Yeah. It is mainly Um, barrel-based what i do for a living is i'm a, I'm a visual artist i do illustration um of my day-to-day job is doing advertising and stuff for a shower door company oh, but the exciting part is uh aside from podcasting for you all is i, I do uh, occasionally some comic book work and freelance illustration you could find my work in nickelodeon magazine etc etc uh so if you want to look for that you can you can find it online just search my name yeah And I work in comic books. I am out here in Los Angeles at a comic book publisher. I work on uh, story and superheroes and all that fun stuff. And I I started uh, as a visual artist as well. Went to school for it and uh, realized I was much better at directing the art and assembling the team and supporting the creative process than I was uh, being directly involved in it. Although I did have a political cartoon strip in my uh, hometown newspaper, for a little while mm-hmm. uh, about about a decade ago now but now I work sort of out here in, in Los Angeles and I'm getting to know the uh, music business uh, with, through this podcasting and that's been a lot of fun. So yeah, creative arts all around for the for the both of us and that is yeah. what we do for a living. And our dad, if you listen to our sister's show yesterday and today, our dad uh, has put together this Beatles show and he's been putting this together for about 20 years and So the idea of a Kaminsky taking to the airwaves (laughs) to talk about the history of a musical enterprise that he admires is actually uh, fairly consistent in our family. So uh, I think James and I both, through listening to Dad's special and then in the advent of podcasting, seeing how media evolved to provide a platform for stuff like what our dad does beyond sort of the bootleg space – caused us as we've talked about in prior episodes to say hey why isn't anybody doing this for jack and third band records and so we have we have taken it upon ourselves to fill that void (laughs) with with the extremely niche crowd that that enjoys it but yeah that's yeah, yeah and we decided to do it in a way that seemed accessible that's why we do what we do now is because of our dad if you want to listen to what inspired us to do this go listen to yesterday and today uh friggin' amazing show. Yeah, it's great. At the time of this recording, that will be up to 63 episodes. We've been doing that for over a year. And we post some pretty pretty nice numbers on that one so we're really appreciative of all the fans of this show we're not afraid to say it's more popular than this one yeah it is by like a two to one margin it's a pretty (laughs) it's a pretty big lead dad's got on us but that's great because we love that show so yeah everybody go check out yesterday and today this evolved into a weird plug for that but for sure Jay's, why don't we move on to the next question here and the question comes from None other than Kate McCoy. We love Kate. Yeah, the bones of the operation. That's right. Kate asks, do you want Jack and Meg to reunite, even if it's just for a show or to play together again? Explain your answer. Then that's her editorializing that she is sounding like a teacher with that <laughs> wording. So that's a very good question because the question is always, "Will will they? But do we as fans want them to reunite? It's a, mm. a fantastic question. James, do you want that? For a record, I would be lying if I said that I didn't want it. Yes, I want it. Right. Do I think it should happen? No. Mm. I think that they left off on a high note. I think they left off during a stage in their development when they were still the White Stripes. Would it be the White Stripes if they were to reunite? No, I don't think it would be. The production would be different. The sound would be different. They would have, you know, Jack's moved forward he's progressed in his musical journey yeah meg has progressed in her personal journey i don't know what she's done musically since then but i think they've both moved on from the white stripes and i don't think we'll ever hear the white stripes again no matter how much we want it and if they were to come back to it i don't think it would be the same it's not going to be the same kind of sound or feeling that we would get much like when led zeppelin reunited it was great for a minute and then it kind of petered out because it's like oh this has just become what the rolling stones have been doing forever it's been become what paul mccartney's been doing forever you know it just becomes cliche and kitschy in a way you know not that i have anything wrong with those two artists and what they do i just feel like it cheapens it a little bit we've we got what we got and that's what we got and i'm kind of happy with it everything you said goes for me too To, to build on that friend of the show ryan brady's podcast take it away talked uh, described mccartney's stage show these days as more like a musical yeah it's more like a traveling musical that is extremely consistent you're going there less for like live music and more to sort of see that show for what it is it's it's a legacy act that is acting as a legacy act you know since jack has started pulling from his back catalog Since the blunderbuss days, I've been very cognizant and and wondering: is that the direction we're headed already? With his live shows, are they turning into legacy shows? Instead of pulling from the entire catalog, they're promoting an album. Because when and we've talked about this on the show before, but when we used to go see Jack, it was to hear the new songs, and that has changed a lot. And that changed in 2012. And he was a young, you know, still even he still is young. But the blunderbuss tour really did pivot hard in that direction. And, you know, you even see bands from his era, like Weezer, for example, yep. or Foo Fighters or something. They're all pulling from their back catalog. You know, when I saw their show a couple of years ago, it was all hits. It was all the hits. And not that I would have known Deep Cuts or even new material or would have necessarily been interested in that because it was a festival but that felt very much like a legacy show anyway that is a long way of saying do i want them to reunite absolutely i would be very curious to hear what that would be like but there is something nice about there being that end point and freezing the white stripes in a moment in time for 10 years they were what they were and it was a very interesting thing for modern music. And now it's done and we can mine it. And you can still get your fix with Jack projects moving forward. The vault has made sure of that for sure. Well, not only that, but the new material too. I think that fills that hole that's been missing since then. And and actually Jack was super smart. And I don't know if this was planned on his part because the narrative he purports would suggest otherwise. But if his intention with bands like the Tours and the dead weather was to say, Hey, I don't know how long Meg can do this. I need other creative outlets and I need to diversify. Then mission accomplished. And you know, he did the very smart thing in doing it before that band broke up, before the white stripes broke up. So there was already built in other stuff he could do. The thing about Jack is that when the dead weather came out, he didn't do White Stripe stuff. He didn't do Rack and Tour stuff. He did Dead Weather stuff. So the first tour of Dead Weather was like, all right, so we're hearing this one album. And yeah. when the Rack and Tours came out, we didn't hear White Stripe stuff. We just heard Rack and Tour stuff. Mm-hmm. He was very smart in making sure that that is what we hear. With the Jack White solo, it makes sense to a degree. Right. That seems more like the Paul McCartney traveling musical, if you will. The Beatles, when they broke up, and I'm not. I'm not comparing the two directly. They're obviously two different bands and two different kinds of fans and and mediums and stuff like that. But when the Beatles broke up, they didn't get back together. And that is one of the reasons why we still talk about the Beatles to this day. Right. It's because we didn't get that. There's mystery. And the White Stripes are all about the mystery. They're all about the curiosity. They're all about wanting more. And we want more... But if we get more, is that in line with what the White Stripes are about? And I don't think it is. Yeah. So I guess it's the question is the answer is twofold, at least on my end. Do I want it? Yes. Should I want it? No. (laughs) I agree with you 100%, Paul. And I think a lot of our listeners would as well. Let's say we get to the next question. Let's do it. We got a lot to get to here. Yeah. We got another one from Josh Aiken, the uh, Joe Shaken all over. He asks, what vinyl record have you guys been seeking out the longest? Oh, I so I know my answer to this. It's not a Stripes record. <laughs> uh, mm. It's it's funny because I, I have a big third band collection right now, or at least bigger than it was when, you know, when we started this show, my record collection exploded and i got mm-hmm. a lot of material and and i like to seek out artists that we've talked to on the show and find 45s by them and you know there's a couple artists where i know if i if i'm digging through a box at amoeba or wherever i am i'm always going to pick up stuff from that's <laughs> forgive me fans olivia Jean. if i find anything by the black bells or anything like that i always pick it up every single time marco price but you know even some of the some of the jack projects i don't necessarily feel the need to compulsively collect, partly because I'm so familiar with that material. I've had it around so long that the collectible purpose of it is fulfilled for me by having the material and knowing it like the back of my hand, whereas a B-side of the Black Bells, I just, you know, I honestly probably haven't heard. So that said, third man aside, the album I've been looking for the longest, and I can't find it for anything less than 100 bucks so i'm not gonna buy it is an album by the fiery furnaces called ep and it's this weird record because it's called ep Mm. but it's an album but it's also a collection of b-sides and singles so Mm. it's neither an ep an album or a best of but it's kind of all three And it's really weird. And it was a lit. The bottom line is uh, they they put out this album called Blueberry Boat and everybody (laughs) rock critics thought it was the greatest thing since sliced bread and nobody bought it because it's this weird, heady, strange album. So the fiery furnaces as like a what you call like a, a snarky move gathered together a bunch of commercial sounding material for their singles and slapped it all together and put it out as an album called EP. And all the rock critics were like, all right a hole you didn't like blueberry boat well here's this commercial sounding thing suck it fanboy <laughs> the the beauty of it is it actually wound up being a great collection of songs so anyway really that came out in 2005 i think 2005 is a weird time for vinyl because mm. it's before the vinyl resurgence but hipster bands are still putting out vinyl but when you look for vinyl from that 2005 area, aside from Jack, who keeps everything in circulation, it's so hard to find. Yeah. And unless they are attached to a label that is keeping it coming, you're kind of screwed. So anyway, the long and short of it is you can't find this album EP for anything less than 100 bucks, and it makes me very sad. I'm a sad, sad boy. James, what about you? I sympathize with that. I have a similar situation. If I was to do a non-third man vinyl the Beck, Wero or Odole album, those are both, like, albums I would love to own. But because of the era they were in, the vinyl wasn't being pressed often. And the ones that were are very sought after and hard to find. And You're talking over- original all- releases? Yeah. okay? Yes. That is very third- surprising to me. Wow. Uh, another non-third man thing uh, that I been seeking out but i haven't really put a lot of time or money into the weird owl squeeze box box set of all his albums on vinyl that yes. would be amazing to get it's not my my the top of list and i'm not willing to to throw the money at it quite yet but i've been in a real weird owl kick lately um <laughs> and i would love to get that i listened to the whole the whole bad hair day album for like three days straight it was great <laughs> Uh Wow. Awesome. Third third man specific, what you doing on vinyl. Okay. Uh by the go yeah. is top of list. I would love to get what you're doing on vinyl. It's so hard to come by for me personally. Uh you can get it on C D pretty cheap. Vinyl comes a little harder. It's it's always a little more money than I'm willing to spend. And then if I was to go actually third man, like put out by Third Man, uh live in Mississippi, the vault that they put out where they're live in Mississippi, that's that's high up there for me uh well very good choices there james i have one that's sort of third man adjacent and i think the only way it's available is via test pressing or limited run pressing and i think they might have only been european the test your love buffalo clover album on vinyl i have the ruse that one you we found when we were doing our margo price episode from the website of the label that used to carry buffalo clover but that's what we're trying to press ben blackwell on to to get him to have you know try and have third man absorb those buffalo clover albums because they're really good and i think it's called test your love it's a fabulous album really good britney howard's all over it from alabama shakes and it's the last one they put out before they broke up and the only vinyl version i found of it was like a test pressing or something out of the uk so would love to get my hands on that uh, Paul, let's say we uh, we go to our next question. Let's do it. So next one here is, uh, again, from Kate McCoy. She asks, what's our favorite collectible, I assume third man collectible, that you own or wish you owned? Ooh, that's a good one. Paul, what do you got? Well, collectible-wise, I don't really have a lot of needs in that department. I think my favorite, although I don't have a good place for it... Is the Jack White flag that came with the live boarding house reach vault? I do have that. I, as I mentioned on the show, had it hung up in my cubicle at work. And as I also pointed out on the show, it was comically large. And I think people thought I was trying to form an alt right cult. <laughs> So I definitely yeah. was asked about it by all of my bosses and definitely took it down. And I don't know really what to do with it other than to love it. And right now it's sort of folded up on the shelf. But I uh, I do love that. I love that Third Man made that. And once I have a use for that thing, i am got to tell you, I'm going to use the hell out of it. What about you, James? Favorite one that I own currently. That's tough. I collectible is a weird term I have a lot of signed things Paul that you got me uh, well so signed stuff yeah that's different that I cherish like that stuff I cherish and that's uh, only recently have I been able to display it, and it is now on the wall, uh, and I'm very excited, and it is, like, one of the first things you see when you walk into my house now uh, As <laughs> you can see a picture of me and Lily Mae that's signed, and uh, you can see a picture of Pokey Lafarge that's signed, and Paul's got me some really exciting things, a thing from Jim Diamond. That says, I don't recommend listening to this album, and it's the album, and it's so good. It's so good. Those are my favorite things, Third Man related, that I love. Collectible is tough. I like the Lego set that Paul also got me. Paul gets me the best things, (laughs) can I just say. The one that I use the most and that I like the most is the Jack White Lazaretto era lighter. Oh. He sold... He sold a lighter that had his logo and it says Jack White on it and I used that thing for everything. I, I like didn't candles that. with it all the time. That's I like fires with it all the time. Yeah, and it's it's just in the collection. It's up there. It's great. I like that thing a lot. One that I wish I owned. People who listen to the ten uh, year anniversary recap will know that I'm having a baby. Mm. And I wish I owned either the children's book or the yes. third man onesie. We have it on our registry. We're gonna <laughs> we're gonna get it eventually. But um, there's a there's two third man onesies. Uh, I'm gonna get one of them. And then there's the uh, We're Going to Be Friends book that we're probably going to get as well. Paul, what's your wish list? Well, if we're talking about autographs, I want to just point out that the only reason James has a signed picture of him and Lily May is because he got me a signed picture of me and Lily May that was signed. And it's amazing. It sits very prominently on my shelf. Also, talking about autographs, you mentioned the book. I have the signed copy of We're Going to Be Friends book, signed by Jack which I would like to get framed eventually and just haven't quite gotten around to along with some pictures I took on the day. As far as collectibles I wish I owned, I gotta be honest, I would really kind of like those headphones, but just because I'd like to use them Ooh. and I don't really have a good pair of like... Which, which ones? The Beats... the oh- the over the oh the Beats headphones, yeah, yeah, the yeah, over yeah. the ear ones, the ones those that Margo really nice uses looking. in the little pain video or whatever. They're they're nice looking. <laughs> I, I think they're uh, they're they're cool looking. Yeah, those are really cool. And then honestly, just I guess the the vaults. Like I I was a pretty late subscriber to vaults, so past vaults I'm really sort of curious about and, and enamored with, and would love to own more. And I started to go back and try and collect those, but it's just cost prohibitive and it's fine like i don't need to own them all but that's if i see a vault for cheap somewhere like that's the kind of thing that would interest me so yeah i guess the headphones is probably the thing but i i that's a very practical <laughs> gift i guess um, well james why don't we read another question sure uh vito hicks the flying vito asks what is your least favorite third man records release ooh this one's Scandalous, Paul. You Ooh. go first. <laughs> <laughs> Least favorite? Well, that's a tough question because they there are a lot of bands that play in the Blue Room that I really don't have a lot of interest in. Although... I'm happy that they have that variety and that people who are into those bands are able to enjoy those artists they love in that unique setting. I agree. For example, I have Jenny and Johnny live at Third Man Blue Room, direct to Acetate. How many people out there are really clamoring for Jenny and Johnny, this guy, right here? Primarily because I am to understand Jenny Lewis hates her ex and we are probably never going to see a reissue of that jenny and johnny (laughs) album ever so i don't think i'm ever going to get that so that's the closest i'm going to get or like why live at third man i really Uh, have a weird thing for why so i guess there's more they're more like things i'm disinterested in as opposed to don't like i will say this as a faithful vault subscriber i was willing to swallow Pearl Jam. (laughs) I was willing to swallow that release. (laughs) Please keep that in. I was willing to accept that Pearl Jam fault because Jack White solos all over two songs. Do I put that on? No. Then we got Trout Mask Replica. And then I was like, okay, well, this is like Jack recommending me an old album that I don't really know. And... The package was really cool, and I really loved the tote bag. And okay, all right, I'll listen to Drop Mask Replicas. Wacky thing. Sleep for me personally
2: mm. was
1: kind of a step too far. They're an esoteric. They're, third Man is kind of niche, right? Sleep mm. is extremely niche. Now, I just so happen to work with somebody who just joined the company who is a sleep super fan, yeah. and subscribe to the third man vault specifically to get the sleep box oh nice yeah so clearly it's for somebody but i would say that for a vault subscription item i don't know if that's fair to ask jack fans to do that i know you can unsubscribe and then resubscribe and all it's i I know it's totally voluntary and i could have done it but if i had to go with like a uh, okay all right kind of release for me personally it was sleep just because i'm not super into it by the way my daughter as it turns out super into stone or doom metal because i had that thing on and she was like grooving to that thing so it's not that i don't even like like it like i think it's fine i just if i were in the room i would have been like hey maybe not that Mm -hmm. but again that's just me personally and again I'm, i'm i'm happy that they release things in the vault that are sort of off the beaten path and try and take you by surprise and force you to listen to things that you wouldn't normally listen to because that's part of the fun of being a third band fan so all that said i i regret i regret saying it already because our buddy friend of the show ben blackwell i know is very excited about that release it's a beautiful package the vinyl's gorgeous and all that stuff i love looking at it i just don't know if i'm gonna be playing that thing very often so i guess if i had to pick it'd be that fair enough how about you the album elephant Don't like it. Don't care for it. it? don't care for that one. Me and Paul are both getting real drunk for this. I'm very sorry. Uh, (laughs) I can feel the world spinning. If I was to give an answer, it's going to be similar to Paul. There's a couple Blue Room releases that I don't love. There's a couple live albums that I don't love. It's tough. We and Paul are, I don't want to say sycophants, but we really... (laughs) We really like almost everything Third Man releases for one reason or the other. Right. Like like what Paul said with Trout Mask Replica, we're fans because it's like Jack's giving us a recommendation. I listened to Trout Mask Replica. I didn't get the vault only because I didn't have the money at the time. Uh, did I mention I'm having a child? It's... <laughs> it's it's one of those things but i still listen to it because they released the vault and I, I enjoyed it and i i took it as like oh this is this is great jack loves this sort of thing and i hate to do this i'm gonna cop out and say sleep is similar to me i don't love it personally i don't think it speaks to me or paul's personal musical taste That's not to say it won't speak to everybody's. That's not to say, hey, don't seek out this album if you haven't heard it. Right. That's to say I don't think this is what me or Paul listen to on a daily basis. Right. I have a very similar story. A friend of mine is a huge sleep fanatic. <laughs> I, I love that there are those that there are sleep fanatics out there. Yeah. I love that he loves the. <laughs> he, he, his father was a mutter. His mother was a mutter. <laughs> like sleep, he loves it. He was talking about sleep before I knew who sleep was. Yeah. And then the minute Third Man Records put out the the vault, I immediately Facebook messaged him and said, "Hey, this seems up your alley. Right? You should probably." get this sure and he went totally and he got it he was he (laughs) hates jack white and he he hates everything third man records stand for but he got the sleep fault because it was a sleep thing and he loves sleep so much yeah third man records keep putting out weird keep putting out weird stuff yeah we love it even if it's not our taste yeah sleep wasn't for us yeah uh, it, and it is, I can't stress this enough. It, it was a beautiful package. Everything they put together. Awesome. And it's funny when we, we were talking to Ben Blackwell, when we interviewed him, he mentioned the, the trap Mask replica numbers were crazy high. So, yeah. you know, clearly it's working for them. I endorse that strategy. I may think twice about future vaults that I'm iffy on. And, you know, it's funny. Sure. Some people were iffy on that Margo Price vault. For me, that was perfect because I'm a huge Margot Price fan. And I actually, of all the vaults, that's the one I play the most. And you know what? I want a Lily May vault. And I know people would hate that. And I want an Olivia Jean vault. And I know people would hate that. I would love an Olivia Jean (laughs) vault. When that surf rock record finally comes out, she had to... Link Ray is dead. And that thing isn't even out yet. (laughs) She is going to pass on the legacy of Link Ray. That's a quote from me to you, and I hope I hope that it comes out soon. And since I can't this, wait. Since this is a loosey-goosey episode, I'm gonna go ahead and uh, make a surf rock recommendation for okay. any for any of you who haven't heard Vic Flick. Ooh. Vic Flick is The guy who plays on Fatboy Slim's sample, I forget what that song is, but it's the video where Christopher Walken's dancing around, and Vic Flick plays the guitar all through that. He is also the guy that plays the guitar on the instrumental versions of songs that appear on the Hard Day's Night soundtrack. You remember when Ringo is sad and walking around the docks, James? Rockefeller Skank. Rockefeller Skank. That's the one. Let's play a little bit of that here. So anyway, that's Vic Flick, and he also did all the instrumentals for The Hard Day's Night. Everybody check out Vic Flick. All right, James, we're going to move on to another question here. Let's say this one comes from Brennan Smith, and he asks, this might be a whole episode or whole podcast idea. Cool. But I'm interested in tracing the relationship between Carl Butterball and Jack how Jack was influenced inspired by Carl's work etc. James what is uh, Jack's connection to Carl Butterball? Should we call Carl back in here for that?
2: Ha oh, my connection is that Carl Butterball loves turkeys and Jack White also loves turkey. Now, there's no
1: connection really. <laughs> Carl Butterball is just is just Futurama's Nixon interpretation uh, put into a turkey <laughs> farmer. There's really no reason he should be here. And the I don't even remember the origins of him aside from it was in a Thanksgiving episode. Yeah. All right, Paul. Thanksgiving please episode. regale us with the with the origins of Mr. Butterball. I, I don't know if I can tell you any more than it was a, it, I think it was our first Thanksgiving episode. We started yeah. talking about the Butterball family or something. But yeah. So yeah, okay. A- well, that one was kind oh, of. Oh it, oh oh oh! I do remember it was that. We were talking about the Third Man Records, Turkey Drive, and that Carl... You can, like, win stuff, and Carl Butterball wanted to win the Turkey Drive so badly that he (laughs) broke into Jack White's office and, like, dumped turkeys (laughs) or something. Yeah, I think we might have to do a Best of Carl Butterball episode. James, we have a a few more here, so let's move on to the next question. We have... This one comes from Twitter. David R. Condic asks... Who would you love for Jack to collaborate with the most that he hasn't had a chance to with yet? Mm, You want to take that one? Who would you um, like? Collaboration. I think we've talked about this on the show. That's a good question. He's collaborated with most people I like, and that's kind of the problem. Uh, I would be interested to hear a, a Robert Plant collaboration that was more than like a live duet sure. I would yeah. be interested in hearing maybe a record there I would love to hear Jack and St Vincent collaborate I think they would do yeah. amazing work together I th- I think either both of us are in agreement that we would love to hear a Jack and McCartney or Ringo collaboration that's official Yeah yeah, or at you the know, very least, yeah. uh, a Blue Room single for Ringo. <laughs> he deserves it. He loves Nashville. Come on, Ringo, get on it. Yeah, that would be fun. There's already seeds planted for Jenny Lewis, as we mentioned. That would be fun, but I don't know why they would collaborate. I could see him maybe guesting on an album of hers or mm-hmm. something like that. But here's, here's an off-the-beaten-path one. I would love to hear a record of him and Olivia. Cause Isn't he on the original album? He's all over... That- bathtub love killings and that's fine but what i would love to hear is actually one that they did together because she's a great songwriter and a great musician i think the two of them could do some real damage on a record i would love to hear that okay yeah uh paul i agree with you let's move on to the next question vito hicks asks will we ever get a jack interview have you tried to get one why don't i go ahead and field this one why don't we say there have been discussions Yes. We have uh, heard back. Yes. Why don't we say probably not in the near future? Yeah. Short term, not yet. But we feel optimistic that uh, something could evolve in the future and there have been discussions. Yes. The answer in the short term is no. The answer in the long term is maybe. And, uh, you know, it's, it's not out of the question and they've taken notice to us. I don't think it's far-fetched to say that Third Man Records recognizes us being a thing and I think it's also safe to say that Jack is very busy at the moment Uh, yeah Uh, he's on an album cycle he's touring there's a lot of stuff going on yes we have tried and you'll have to wait and see yes Uh, we have another question here from Josh Aiken or Joe Shaken who asks are you ever going to do an LJ Origins (laughs) episode and that was seconded by Tam Davis. So yes. yes, we would love to do one. We are thinking about that. That may have taken the place of James's weird Polish heritage <laughs> episode. He's dying to do. So we're going yeah. to uh, we're going to see about that. And then we have one last question here from StuCat on Twitter, and he asks, "Where are album CD sales reported? You were able to quote total sales of Sea of Cowards, etc. All right, Pull- so." Where do you get that information? Well, well... Look, whatever the failing New York Times posts, we don't believe that. <laughs> our, we see numbers that are incredible. They're giant. Uh, most attended numbers that we've ever seen in our lives. It's funny. So I, I learned a couple things about it. There's a What I learned most fascinatingly is that you can mm-hmm. report album sales nowadays based on if enough tracks from a record, are downloaded, and I don't know if it's by the same person, I think it is, then you can report the album having been downloaded, which is interesting. This is via the Nielsen rating system nielsen.com they have a page here about music sales measurement and it says in addition to monitoring radio airplays online streaming and music consumer behavior nielsen is the authority in tracking what people are buying both in-store and digitally they compile data from 39,000 retail outlets globally to help record to help record labels publishers artists and artist management and performance rights organizations understand what albums singles and music videos people are buying on a weekly basis they collect something called point of sale data mm. in uh, 19 countries. So they basically prioritize the top music buying countries, and that's not counting truck stops in Indonesia, where they are purchasing copies of Get Behind Me Satan on cassette tape, James. Ah, uh-huh, yes. They, they compile them that way, and then for uh, they say for over two decades, their sales tools... Have been a trusted and vital resource, and yada, yada, yada. And then they go ahead and gloat about themselves here. But it was interesting. They, there's also something called Sound Scan and Buzz Angle that helps track some of the reporting. And it says physical products, digital albums, and maxi singles require a UPC to be reported as sales. Digital singles can only be re- reported by something called ISRC. And basically, these codes are tracked. And so whenever somebody purchases one or more of the digital, uh, that gets bounced back to SoundScan. This is via something called IndieHitMaker.com. So I guess it's people trying to track these things on their own. And then online uh, reporting deadlines vary. So you could get kind of a fluctuation in ch- in chart uh, positioning in terms of what is sold when. In the comic business, it's it's based on the month. And that's how they report typically, I believe, album sales with, like, Billboard. But with Billboard... Uh, it's a weekly reporting system mm-hmm. and actually you know i think billboard has the uh, uh billboard has the weekly reporting for both album and single so there's a lot of different ways but it basically just comes down to you know digital having its own set of codes that are taken into account and tallied and stuff and sent by the the nielsen system out and then uh, you also have UPCs for physical purchases and things like that, which are I assume bigger outlets, not like secondhand stores and things like that, which a lot of record stores tend to be these days. So I would imagine it's kind of hard to pinpoint exactly what is being sold where to a to the degree of accuracy that you could get in a time where everyone was purchasing music the same way. So record store era. very easy to track that digital plus a smattering of record stores, some of which are secondhand, yada, 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 maybe a little harder to track, but honestly, Spotify downloads are probably the metric that people are looking at these days. Anyway, the the short answer is a lot of different ways, but we, we do know that Jack's last few albums have been number one, not just on billboard, but in the vinyl charts for certain. So, you know, Jack's still vibrant in that, competitive arena we, we, when we when we do our research we get our sources from a lot of different places and we try to cite those places when we say them it, it's not always from the same place but what paul said you know holt's fairly true billboard is is a pretty reliable source you know forbes ew they occasionally report on album sales during the first couple weeks of sales so we we try to give you an idea when we're doing our research, it comes from a lot of different places. Oh uh, yeah. Uh, it's, it's not always completely accurate, but you know, you know, whatever we can get you, uh, we try to get you. So, uh, Ben Blackwell, if we're wrong, please come at us. <laughs> yeah. Stu mentions the sea of cowards episode. That one mm-hmm. specifically, I know exactly where that came from. It came from Wikipedia, but what I did was they give you their source. Mm-hmm. So I, clicked through the links and verified the information through the website source that they were using and tried to check it against anything else I found in my Google search so yep. uh, you know honestly when we're researching an episode it can get kind of complicated but I sort of use Wikipedia as a starting point and then branch out from there it, it really depends so a lot of different places if you're really curious or if you don't believe us please let us know if we if you think we're wrong and uh, otherwise you know google it that's what we do a lot of the time google it uh so this weird drunk casting episode is going on a little long why don't we kick it to our third man for this week yeah let's kick it to our third man it's gonna be a long episode for some reason We'd like to welcome from the band The Moon is Flat and Sonophone Records, we have Kyle Ledford or Johnny Lee Ledford. Uh, which would you prefer? Oh,
0: y'all can call me Kyle. We're,
1: we're friends. Okay. <laughs> yeah, we got Kyle Ledford on the podcast. How's it going, Kyle?
0: Oh, great, man. Um, just got back from uh, the first part of Fisherman's Village Music Festival here in Everett. Yeah. On uh, day one here, I've got the, the Porters. They're like a folk, kind of a little jazzy, little folk duo. Um, husband and wife, and they just killed their set over at uh, the Shack Arts Center, so that was pretty great.
1: Nice. Awesome. That's fantastic. Yeah, we've been talking for quite a while, sort of offline, but this is your first time on the show, and uh, it's a long time in coming, and you know, so thank you for uh, finally uh, joining us there. We've been
0: chatting so long, I feel like we already know you. Well, (laughs) thank you guys for putting on an incredible show, you know? I mean, uh, when I found y'all, it was like Gosh, I wonder. I wonder if there's anybody doing a, a podcast on uh, on Jack White or the history <laughs> of you know this stuff. I've had such a an interest for you know ever since I was a kid. And, and you got Carl um, Butterball. <laughs> oh yeah, I mean, you know what though? I mean, that, that's what got me right off the bat. Was like not not only are you guys like on a base level just you know nailing the Jack Whiteness and the Third Man history but yeah. you also have your own like really great creative outlet you know which i, I think is awesome you know um, well, thank you right I, off the bat i you. was like a, a, just a huge fan of like these characters recurring characters <laughs> recurring bits you know oh, you're man. the only one um, <laughs> we have one we got one Everybody loves Johnny
1: Liberty. He's my son. Um, thank you so much. For the record, we need to put you in the... Uh, we need to give you a nickname to, to get you in the shout-outs thing, so we're going to have to... Oh, gosh. Do you,
0: do you have yeah. a nickname of choice? Oh, no, no. Y- y'all going to have to work on that. Oh, okay. All <laughs> James, right.
1: James we'll, James, we'll workshop it in post. And, uh, <laughs> yeah. We... We will insert that Uh, nickname in a weird spot in this episode. That I can promise Um, you right now.
0: All of my nicknames, y'all have to bleep, so... No, I'm just kidding. (laughs) All fair, you did tell us it was... (laughs) <laughs> yeah, so
1: you're here with us uh, we're, we're doing a, a listener questions episode uh, So we were going to ask, uh, you know, a, a one or two But while we got you here You have quite the, the history with, uh, with, with records and bands and stuff uh, you're, you're in a band called The Moon is Flat And you just recorded a new single Which is great, by the way Oh, that's so cool. You guys just started. That's great. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, it's, it's really, really haunting. Uh, do you want to tell us a little bit about your band?
0: Yeah, so the, the Moon is Flat is um, the creative vision of a guy named Kirk Rutherford, and I supported him when I first launched Sonophone Records five years ago in a band called Shark the Herald. And I've just, from the moment I met that guy, I knew no matter what, as. As far as this goes, you know, as long as you're in the game, as long as you're making music and being creative, I'm going to be here to support you. And over time, that uh, went from me managing and producing Shark the Herald to that transforming into Moon is Flat and about two years ago was when I first joined the group, and it was the first step for me in going from helping an artist achieve a creative vision to then becoming part of that directly myself right. Um, right. with an artist that wasn't my own songs, you know, to kind of just kind of get in and be a background player, you know? And yeah.
1: That can be a weird transition. You know, I think, uh, you know, I, I've wrestled with that before, too. You know, I, I've fallen into a support role as well, and then when it comes to my own creative stuff. I, I find it to be there's it's a two sides of the brain kind of thing, you know. And you want to be your mm-hmm. own support system, but you really do need someone with perspective on the outside. So, was that transition for you awkward, or was it a natural thing?
0: For me, it was incredibly enriching. Um, That's uh, great. As as an artist, you know, kind of taking a cue from. One of my heroes, Jack White, was like, I'd always been known as a guitarist, kind of in, in the underground scene out here. And for me, I really wanted to expand and broaden my horizons in some of the other instruments that I played. And with The Moon is Flat, I got this ability to really express myself on the synthesizer and uh, playing keys and to to be able to present myself in a live situation different than I ever had before when you're that center cat, you know? Mm, Sure. And so for me, it was like getting to dive into that allowed me to expand my musical horizons and then enrich my own personal musical talents because then I can come back and reframe my own perspective on, on what I would create based upon these experiences playing with other people. And uh, yeah. Moon is Flat was really what, like, bridged me into that. And now when I produce artists um, like <clears throat> Killensworth, Go Away Sun, uh, those records, I, I, I perform on a lot of different instruments all, sure. all over those records. Moon is Flat is really what helped me kind of bridge that and get to that level of comfort to, to understand that I, I have things that I can contribute to these uh, other artistic expressions aside from just uh, directing or, or editing and, and recording and shaping the, you know, their vision to, to really help be a, a player in, in creating the sound as well. Right. Nice, yeah.
1: I was really happy to hear Synthesizer there. I have been told I have a synth problem, but I I, like to, I prefer to think of it as a synth solution. So I'm very happy to hear you're <laughs> expressing yourself via Synthesizer. I'm a big, I'm a big fan. So yeah, yeah that like synth wave.
0: <laughs> with me, um I, I'm a huge fan of like Brian Eno, Roxy Music. Okay, that David Bowie yeah. crossover with Iggy sure. Pop, um, yeah, and, and that era of of vintage. Sound um, and so a lot of the sounds that I use, I try and dig into that old school kind of synth sound and, and find yeah. ways that I can express it within other artists. You know, who who the music that they're playing is in no way influenced by Brian Eno or whatnot. But but how can I find that space where? I can feel excited and and dabble in those things. And especially on stage, being a background player, I can like, I can go all Brian, you know, you know, I can, I can dress all fancy and, and, and so really funny. dance around and get into it. Cause you know, the, the cat in the background on the keyboards, nobody ever expects that guy to be like going ham, you know, right. but, I, but, but I'll like, see like, man, can I play the solo while jumping in the air? Like <laughs> one handed, you know, <laughs>
1: I have one, yeah. I have one last synth question for you. Mm. Moog or Moog?
0: Oh, it's Moog, man. I am Worf, son of Moog.
1: <laughs> potato, oh, potato. You, you can't win this one.
0: <laughs> All right, how about this one? Capo or Capo? Oh, I always say Capo. But, thank you, uh, I don't, thank I, you. I don't know, I don't know where it lands on that. Um, it lands uh, at Capo. One of my artists, Go Away Son, on her uh, synth setup, she has this great sticker that says, uh, Moog died for our synths. <laughs> <laughs> you see, the, the thing
1: about Moog and Moog is that Moog is the type of organ, and Moog is a brand of peanut butter, Paul. Uh, <laughs> okay. they're, they're both creamy. I th- yeah, it, is, exactly. it is creamy. I do think. choosy it, I, synthesizers choose <laughs> moog. Moog is also the name of Quark's mother, so it's fine. That's, anyway, oh, nice. nice. <laughs> Moving on. Sorry. Uh, yeah. Uh, speaking of, of producing albums and things, you you also run uh, Sonophone
0: Records. Yes, I do. Uh, do Founder you want to tell and us CEO, a little-
1: right? Founder and CEO.
0: Yeah. So, so Sonophone, It started off as my passion project and something that I was doing on the side while uh, I was running small businesses and kind of growing myself in uh, uh, my my business skills and trying to find how to how to merge that with my you know my own artistic pursuits. And basically, when I first launched it, it was uh, an avenue for me to be able to record local underground artists that i was a fan of and to help give them an avenue to get their music out and to do it in a way that i felt was pure you know that that yeah. represented the, the aspects of production and music creation that i really uh love coming from that background of being really informed by uh growing up listening to white stripes and dead weather yeah. and raconteurs and all that stuff sure. and you know i think uh Jack White is one of those really unique artists that not only did he affect a lot of different people through his music, but he also presented a a quasi, you know, religious doctrine on what truth is, you know, and and truth is very critical to a lot of his messaging. And so for me, it was kind of like, how can I take my love of that, help other people you know, communicate their art and maintain that truth. And then as it grew over time, uh, you know, I I went from just producing externally and other recording studios to building my own studio and then growing into becoming a vinyl lathe cutting engineer to where then I started working in cutting small batch vinyl. So we, we actually can cut a record like one at a time. And that, <laughs> once I got into that, it really allowed me to, to grow the business and um, have that connection to helping artists have a tangible thing that they can sell. So merging that business acumen with artistic expression. And now we're coming up on our five-year anniversary in June. And like now in the local festivals, you know, the the talent that I'm able to help bring to these things and and help propel, that's like beyond my dreams, even of how I thought it would start. You know, when it started off, it was kind of a a passion project, you know.
1: Yeah, sure, for sure. I I watched the tour basically of Sonophone Records on on YouTube, and uh, the, <laughs> the setup you have there is extraordinary. You have a piano room where people can just kind of chill out and and just play piano. I it the whole <laughs> setup reminds me of like um you know bands would go you know on retreat into the into a cabin in the woods to to kind of clear their heads. Uh, well, we we just. And yesterday and today, we were talking about Junior's Farm, McCartney going to a farm and just practicing. And it's it's really a, a really nice setup you have there.
0: Oh, thank you so much. Yeah, it was really great to have uh, Live in Everett, which, you know, th- they're um, uh, like a hyper-local media company that's really showing... The, the different interesting things that are going on in our, our area, and for them to come in here and give me a, a bit of a spotlight and to communicate visually what we're doing was really really great. And anybody wants to check that out, you can find it out on YouTube and whatnot. But as you were saying, that kind of old school notion of having a retreat and having the space for me, I, I really try and make it so that when you walk in the door you do feel transported through time and that virtually everything that you engage in is coming from a historic perspective. It's, you know, vintage analog gear. It's, uh, you know, everything that is modern is encased within uh, an old school feel. So so you really are kind of mentally taken to another space to where if we are using digital tools, that that almost becomes so out of mind because mm. everything that is so present takes you to that place. And I think that's really important, you know. Um, and to have different spaces where people can flesh out their expression before you just hit record, especially if you put the pressure on them that, like tape is running you know right. yeah. <laughs> which is something yeah, that, sure. that people kind of forget like you know having that little bit of like a pressure on you that there is uh only so much that you can do that there is an end point to this that we can't just sit here forever and so when you work through those different things having a having a piano parlor where an artist can can flesh out their ideas before they go to go hit record down in the studio you know and yeah so that's I really I'm really thankful and glad that that you kind of picked up on that vibe it, it's a it's a great
1: setup. Uh, I love what you're doing. You have a whole direct to acetate section there, which i I have to ask what inspired you to invest in that kind of equipment like to to go direct to acetate like that and I I have to imagine that Third Man Records may not have been far from your mind?
0: Oh yeah no I mean Third Man Records was definitely at the forefront of of seeing that that is a reality that that just to know that that could happen that that really opened a door in my mind to, to want to engage and know more about what is that process? Who does that? How do you get a machine? How do you even get into the world of understanding how these things happen? Mm-hmm. And, um, and it turns out that that world is actually very difficult to get into. And it's, uh, yeah. it took me years of studying and understanding before I could even get a machine. And then when I first got my initial machine, which was uh, they had these little suitcase cutters. Which uh, back in the day, you know, before, before tape existed, they had these small record cutters. And uh, that's what I first cut my teeth on. And being able to produce records on that small and that simple of a machine paired with an Ampex 350, which is uh, the same machine that Sun Studios produced everything on, that's really where I got my start. And that allowed me to get the attention of some of the bigger names in that Vinyl cutting, acetate, lathe, engineering world, which is uh, kind of brought me to where I am now.
1: So this, the, the direct to acetate, the the suitcase one specifically. What kind of era are we talking? Did you buy this used, or was this a, a fresh made product? Or because I'm thinking. The way you're describing it sounds similar to what, like, Paramount did when they would take it on the road to record blues singers in the 30s and 40s.
0: It's exactly that, that type of machine. Oh, okay. yeah. So it, it would have been, um, my initial machine was a, a K-10, which I believe was from 1954. So, you're, you know, you're talking early 50s, kind of rolling off of that 1940s technology. Mm-hmm. Um, and what I cut on now is a Presto 8 that is, uh, you know, a big... Console, which is similar to what they would have cut a master on, you know, back in the day. But all of these tools and all of the equipment that exists, they're all still based off of the exact same machines. There, There is no brand new vinyl lathe <laughs> cutting machine. Um, even the new pressing plants, they're sourcing their master acetates from vinyl master engineers who are cutting on primarily equipment from the you know 40s through the 70s and yeah. and when you look at that peak of the 1970s those machines were upgraded machines that had been around already for 15 20 years sometimes so so it's, it's such an interesting world that that in every element of it it's built upon a legacy and a history of recording you know yeah, yeah.
1: I think my only uh, like uh, point of reference for some of that stuff was watching American Epic and kind of looking at that extremely old technology and Jack working that stuff there. Can you tell me a little? Because I'm super fuzzy on you know you see direct acetate all the time on those live at Third Man releases and stuff. Uh, assuming I have the intellect of a child when it comes to all of that, <laughs> what sonically is it offering that another uh, perhaps more modern style of recording? can't give you or or is it more of a frame of
0: mind kind of thing can you illuminate some of that you know there, there's many spectrums there, yeah. there's many spectrums to it so so first of all on a bass level the sound goes into a microphone that mm. microphone carries that sound through a cable which mm. then goes into a machine and that sound is translated to a vibration within a cutting head and that sound vibration is the same wave that was going through the air. So in a sense of really, if you're doing like a great direct to acetate, uh, cut, you're, you're trying to, in the best way possible, capture that, that actual moment in reality and that vibration. So inside a cutting head, you basically have a speaker, which then is communicating the sound that was coming through the microphone and that's vibrating a cutting stylus. And that cutting stylus, as it vibrates, it translates those vibrations into the grooves. So what's being cut into the vinyl or what's being cut out of the vinyl is actually the the waveform that was passing through the air. So wow. it's
1: it's the capturing of the moment that, that sort of enthralls yeah. you. Because yeah. I know that's that's gotta be what, what it is with Jack is like he's always wanted to You know, keep the flubs in, keep the the mistakes in, and having it direct to acetate. It doesn't allow for retakes, it doesn't allow for doing multiple sessions because you only have one session to do it. So totally, sure and, and,
0: and one thing that we do um, that we have the ability to do that's that's unique, that not not every direct-to-acetate or acetate lathe cutter or um, engineer has these tools is, is we've modified our machine to where we can also cut not on acetate, we can actually cut onto direct vinyl using a, oh, nice. using a diamond. And so that allows Whoa. artists to be able to create a product that's replayable because acetates are not infinitely replayable. Mm-hmm. But if you cut onto an acetate, actual vinyl with a diamond stylus that's a replayable format you know mm-hmm. and that's going to that's going to last just like a regular record and so we we do a lot of for small local artists who would never be able to afford to to drop thousands of dollars to get a, a pressing done where most pressings have a minimum of 250 units which really just that just really cuts out all, a lot of the underground so we can cut 20 copies, you know, or 10 Mm -hmm. copies for for a a small local band to have at their merch booth so they can try and sling a cassette and a vinyl and, you know, make a little money without spending a a, a fortune that they just don't have and that they're not going to make back because the music industry just isn't, you know, it isn't that the way that it used to be, you know.
1: Yeah, Hmm. for sure. In your experience, you know, I mean, where is the money? these days for, for artists in, in that regard?
0: Well, my my big perspective on it is that the collapse of the larger music industry is actually a great thing for small artists because sure. what it's done, if you actually think about the ease for any individual to access any level of music now, right. it's, it's so easy. Everything's there, right? So what used to be, um, say, a promotional wall, you used to have to have a big label to be able to communicate and connect your music with different people. That's all gone. Now that's all just free advertising basically. So now on the local level, if you're an artist who doesn't have to worry about all of these big contracts and big influence, sure. there is money in it, but it's on a local level. You're yeah. you're dealing with your local music scene, building 30, 50, 60, 100 fans, you know, instead of right. competing with this, this huge umbrella of content. Because it's really made the umbrella of content that's out there is so huge that it's really brought people back to a local level because that's what they can find. That's what they can engage in. You know, that's like a, a a one-on-one connection. And in that purchasing music at a merch booth is, is, uh, really financially sustainable. You know, uh, young kids now, not only are they buying vinyl like crazy, they're buying cassettes like crazy and a, a young artist, they can get a totally professional cassette made for like, two dollars and 50 cents, you know, with full art and looks great. And whether or not the person who's buying that even listens to it, it's that avenue for them to financially show support. And they can sell that cassette for five bucks and make a Keystone 50 percent profit. Like that's great. You know,
1: what piece of the pie is is digital and all that. I I ask this because I'm always curious. You know, we've we've heard Jack say in the past that, Touring was so expensive, and it wound up, you know, in some cases perhaps losing money. And and you wonder, you Mm -hmm. know, Jack, Jack is one of those artists that was right at the tail end of the big companies like we used to know them, and then they all fell down. And then I feel like the dust has just been settling ever since, and the dust to me seems to be in the digital, and then everything else is Mm -hmm. sort of gravy. Now, what you're talking about is, like, leveling the playing field and, in some cases, crowding the playing field, but offering more choices, and people are able to kind of target what they want more specifically. It's a lot like streaming...
0: Uh, TV. Well, what, what
2: I
1: uh,
0: what I think is so brilliant about somebody like Jack is not only the notion that for a lot of artists and people who are engaging in in the music industry like myself who grew up with him and and really learned so much from his perspective was that if you really think of the big picture, like the music industry is now returning back to Jack playing at the Gold Dollar. You know what right. I mean? Yeah. It's really turning back to yeah. that local neighborhood level, and in the in the response to that, what do we see? What do we see this guy do? He he goes back to Detroit. You know, right. he's not going to LA. He he's going back to his hometown and then he's enriching that and making these uh, pillars of local activity just like how it was back, you know, in, in the <laughs> late nineties when he was yeah. first starting. And and, and I think Buick that stuff, yeah, <clears throat> yeah and, and I think that the big expense and uh, a lot of the uh, problems that came with everything getting so big and growing so much, jack he made it he made it right before everything collapsed, but he had such a historic connection to the history of music, but that roots, you know the on the ground floor, you know, uh, grassroots, neighborhood style, working that that fandom that's that's a true connection between local people and uh, and I think that. With the big costs and everything collapsing, the big tours, I mean, why do you see that fewer big artists even go on tour now? They just do a couple festivals. You know, right. the, the, fest, the festival right now, Fisherman's Village Music Festival, that's going on here in Everett, the headliners on this are, are big names. And right. they're not, a lot of them aren't playing these massive tours. They're doing as many <laughs> killer festival spots as they can. And when you look at the industry, all of that really reflects that the expense bottomed so much stuff out, you know, so that the, yeah, the, yeah. the big amount of money going through, it's just, that's just gone. Yeah. So, you're,
1: so you're all about keeping overhead low and targeting your audience and getting out there as much as you can. I guess that's the advantage of the big label is that you have the bigger reach. But what you're describing is really like, hey... The bigger reach is the internet. So we can do this ourselves now.
0: I mean, <laughs> yeah, yeah, totally. And that's all. I mean, it's if you think of the walls, like I said, the walls of advertising, all, all of that's gone. So every individual artist has the ability to to right. promote themselves and 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 put themselves out there. And really, are you competing with Kanye West, or are you competing with you right. know the your your local neighborhood bands? It, yeah. it really is now, I believe, more of a conversation about you and the local neighborhood bands not being in competition, but creating your own vibrant culture within the local level. And the, the Kanye Wests and the, you know, the massive top 40 hit players, that's just, it's a whole other world that's, that's so detached from what I would call the, the real music industry, which is thriving right now, which is underground, local, <laughs> independent.
1: Yeah, rock and roll is is sort of gone full circle. In that, you know, it used to be smaller singers going from town to town, like Jack's inspiration, were you know, Blind Willie McTell and stuff, wandering yeah. around trying <laughs> to make a name for himself. Oh yeah, yeah. Being a an ambassador for the music, and it's sort of it's sort of coming back
0: that way. People are proud of it. You know, if they hear someone from their hometown, they're all about it. Well, and and it um it brings it back to the conversation of truth. You know, I mean, that all just brings it back to more about the truth of the music and, and communicating yep. what who you are, what's your perspective, who are you talking mm-hmm. to, and, you know, some of those things can grow and, and get huge, you know, one of the bands that's playing uh, at this festival right now, The Coat Hangers, gosh, oh, nice. they are awesome, you yeah, know, and to be playing hangers. in the same, to be able yeah. to be playing the same festival on the same day as, uh, you know, The Coat Hangers, like, that's killer, and there are artists that that still are Taking that build from a grassroots local level and, and bringing their message to a, a larger audience. And, and I'm not saying that those things don't happen and that, and that it's wrong or anything. But in the overall experience of, of really where the industry is going, I feel like it's, it's really returning to local grassroots DIY, and um, it's something that the music industry has gone through a number of times. You know, the advent yeah. of radio killed vinyl sales for a while, and everybody was freaking out because vinyl records used to be manufactured by the companies that manufactured the actual machines. So the machine and the medium were all connected, and uh, and then radio really you know displaced that, and you know then the internet displaced the the sales of CDs, and and you know and then streaming displaced, uh, even selling uh, digital through iTunes and stuff like that. So right. the cycles always go and and they go up and down. But the truth of like connection, local music, the underground and, and the reality of what what is true art is always going to be there. And, and one thing that I thought was sad for a while was if you really analyze the Billboard charts, there's been pretty strong periods of time in the recent history where... A, like no song in the top 100 had a guitar yeah. on it you know yeah, yeah and that was happening at the same time that kids are like packing houses you know going to local mm-hmm. shows i think that really shows the disparity between what's really connecting and what's right. really selling on on a bigger commercial level because yeah. most of yeah. that money is in licensing deals and you know advertisements and all that stuff that's so uh plastic and and removed from the the reality of music you know
1: i i was literally i was just having this same conversation last night with a friend of mine we were ta- they were telling me about this artist that they were uh, going to be interacting with and this artist had a number one billboard top 200 number one song for 12 consecutive weeks and i had never heard of this person and i that <laughs> blew my mind it blew my mind because like I'm I've considered myself fairly connected to music, you know, I I I try and ingest as much as possible, but it's just like you said the disparity is so large between what is actually selling from a, from the old metric to what the the new metric is and it's just such a different currency. It's a it's a it's a harder to measure currency. I guess the only way you really measure it is in places like YouTube, and you measure it in views, and you measure it like that, I suppose. But it's it's fascinating to see how the music business is evolving. I work in a, a print media, and we are facing similar challenges. The business is changing all the time, and, and no one knows really where it's going. And sometimes I think print media is going to go the way of, like, vinyl, where it's turned into... Uh, a specialty item? Yeah, boutique. But with... Bo- yeah, so B- so right.
0: uh, a funny enough connection to that is, uh, so one of the small businesses I used to run was a board game store. Uh-huh. And so watching books and board games and these uh, physical entertainment mediums, you know, back in the 1970s, which were huge, you know, Dungeons and Dragons and all that, and then in the 80s, massive business. 90s, it's huge, and then you have this this big crumble... And then, if you think of like uh, even tabletop miniatures, right, like games like Warhammer and things like that, mm-hmm. th- these were huge businesses that you'd see them in all the malls and things like that, and kids were doing it all over the place. And then, when all that collapsed, th- all of these shops closed down, and then they became a, a smaller, independent style experience where the customers that did come in were diehard fans, and the the relationship between the people working those shops. And the people buying the products became a more genuine expression of both sides loving the same thing. And and you see that, I believe, in in what I've seen with comic book stores and all of those different avenues that that when the big industry collapses, it doesn't mean the death of the medium. It just means that that the size and scalability of it returns to a place that's actually more earnest and um, less about chasing a dollar, you know? Yeah.
1: That's so funny. Yeah, it's about, it's not, it, I love that idea. I love the idea that just because the machine explodes doesn't mean the the media explodes. That's that's a really, really lovely way to put it. It gives us all hope, Kyle. Uh, You're you know, here to I mean, honestly, hope
0: to the people. It, if you look right now, you know, so like vinyl records, <laughs> it's like year after year, blowing up 200% growth, et cetera. Actually look look at what's going on with European board gaming, right? So tabletop role-playing European style board gaming, Sellers at Catan, all of this, Dungeons and Dragons Fifth Edition, you know, it's had a huge right. explosion. So you see actually that that these things they they, they come and go, but it it's always cyclical and, and what what I believe is the, the the best part of it is that the experience and the product always becomes better because it has to return to something truer because they need people to engage, you know. And right. uh none of these things die. They just they just go through waves and, and kind of check themselves, you know?
1: Yeah. Yeah. yeah the,
0: things it, can only get so big before they
1: implode on themselves sometimes. but uh, yeah. I, I'm, often, uh, I'm often accused of that,
0: uh, getting so big before <laughs> I implode upon myself. It's like uh, it's like Western it's like Western democracy, you know, yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah,
1: capitalism or anything. Uh, so listen, I'm I'm hearing the baby cry in the other room, so I'm gonna have to go check in on that. Kyle, I could talk to you literally for the rest of the night. I find this fascinating. <laughs> I could talk. Oh about yeah, this stuff. we should
0: just chat sometime. You know,
1: like absolutely. Yeah. Uh, and, and I know at one point you were uh, you were talking about maybe us uh, uh, traveling up there or maybe uh, meeting up in some capacity. or uh, I would I would love to oh, get yeah. together. We
0: got should... to cut a Carl Butterball novelty vinyl record. That has to happen. Be so and I've, I've been serious, dead serious about that from day one. I, I don't care if it's you guys send me files and I, you know, and then I, I you know, turn that into a right. analog digital conversion. It's it's got to happen. We will <laughs> all right. I will have my people
1: call your people um, and James uh, of course is the talent in this situation so James don't worry about it I'm your I'm gonna be your agent here great fantastic uh, but but yeah I, I well, do have to split for this baby I'm, I'm so sorry Kyle uh, but uh, it's fine th- oh, no thank problem. you so much it's so it was so great talking to you I, I mean we should have you back on the show like all the time I I could literally I'm I'm like so upset I would I would seriously gnaw your ear off about this current state of the music industry for hours on end. Very interesting stuff. But, um, but thank you very much. Oh, thank you. All right. So, uh, well, we'll we'll make the the uh, the last bit of this. Pretty quick then. So uh, it wouldn't be a listener questions episode if we didn't have a, you know, we didn't have a guest to answer a, a listener question. For sure. So here's one from uh, from Le- Leland Fingstag. Uh, if you were to introduce Jack White to a stranger,
0: what song would you choose? Oh, gosh. Um, well, I-, I believe now since the height of Seven Nation Army, it's, it's mm. because it's entered the zeitgeist of being a pop culture folk song, you know, it's, it's, yeah. it's, it's a hummable melody that everybody can relate to. Um, I, I would of course say seven nation. Okay. If, if, is there, is there a weird one would you choose? Oh man. For me personally, I would take something like apple blossom. Okay. A song like that, that really communicates, I think the, the larger spectrum of what Jack's getting at with his uh, conversations about about truth and and mm. and lies and earnesty and love and all of that, I feel like Apple Blossom really uh, wraps a lot of that up very beautifully and, and really shows showcases him as an artist very well.
1: Yeah, I sort of I, I agree with you uh, about the Seven Nation Army thing. I mean, it's it speaks for itself at this point. It is it, it is a, a song ingrained on everybody's brains, like whether we you know, like it or not. It's the, there. The
0: first song, the first song that I actually ever heard from the white stripes the 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 one that like really got me going was his cover of captain beefheart and uh-huh. uh and and just like that attack and that the heaviness of it which uh, i believe that was like a sub pop release possibly
1: uh party of special things to do backed with uh china china pig and ashtray heart were the... yes
0: yes yeah. yeah 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 and it was one of those things where it's like as soon as you heard it, you just you knew that this was something like explosive and and engaging and and that vocal delivery was like so powerful that uh, that voice was so unique.
1: If you're into Beefheart,
0: you're gonna understand a lot of
1: where Jack's coming from. If I had to go with a weird one, I would say little room kind of that dials into Jack's philosophy you know. Oh, absolutely! As a singular little, song. little
0: room, little room is Jack's, like you know, grinning in my face, like yeah. it's it's uh, you know, it, it's just that that bare bones, just getting that message across in in a way that, funny enough, our entire conversation today is yeah. is is really wrapped up in that song. That when you get the bigger and room, all of the uh, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, it's it's his manifesto. I would say it's uh
2: <laughs> oh, totally.
1: Yeah, and then uh, we got one more uh, also from, from Leland Finkstag. He asks, what are the the top three things you would like to see released via the Vault?
0: Oh, gosh, that's tough, especially because the Vault has, has really expanded its horizons.
1: I mean, even just, we were just talking about Captain Beefheart, they re-released that out of nowhere.
0: I would love to hear... Um And I know he's got to be sitting on a a lot of outtake material, Um, Mm. especially from the early days. You know, I I, I imagine in in my mind, I wonder what the full length and the full breadth of, say, a Jim Diamond session was really like, you know. And and if I if I had the ability to to hear like, you know, on yesterday and today on, on that podcast, one thing I love is is the ability to hear so much of the working relationship in the studio you know yeah. that that is so spectacular and and I love being able to hear the other side of the curtain you know and and True. for somebody who works in audio that's really spectacular to me so to be able to have some type of vault release that really gave you that that kind of unvarnished, uh, behind-the-curtain view, especially into the early stuff, you know, like those diamond sessions, uh, you know, the stuff that Jack recorded at his house, that would be killer. I would take three releases of just that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I would have to say, I mean, I, I agree
1: with you. How- Outtakes and demos and stuff are always top of mind for, for Faults for me personally. Uh, the the Red demos they included with the Icky Thump re- re-release were, they blew my mind. Just hearing him work out the lick for Rag and Bone or something, you know, it's like, that's the kind of stuff I want to hear is is the artistic process, I think. Uh, and, oh, yeah, and I'm, yeah, totally. I'm, I'm with you on the, um, hearing the, you know, the background characters, the people you don't normally hear on the albums uh, would be, pretty exciting to hear you know someone from the the booth saying you know try
0: this or do this you know absolutely and and the other thing i would really love to hear is um more fleshed out material, if it exists, from his uh, Detroit record that he did. That we rec- he recorded himself and, and brought in all those other mm. cats from uh, the local Detroit scene at that time to, to hear really, like, what was that process like? What was it like when Jack brought in all these different folks and was like, okay, everybody's playing on this guitar and everybody's playing on this drum set and this is it and we're all using just these microphones? Because that's that's. I would say that's the closest thing that, that emotionally would connect to me in, in in what I'm doing now. So so being able to hear the behind the scenes and, and that that un you know behind the veil of of that, because that's a very young Jack White doing something that his life ended up becoming so encapsulated within, you know. Yeah. So that's like the starting point when now if you think about him as an artist, of course he's still known worldwide as this, you know, rock star guitar player, but to his fans and the people in the music industry, I think, that that grew up with him, that really love him. It's that brilliant producer, that mastermind who can put all the pieces together. And that early Detroit work that he just did himself in his home, I mean, that's, that's the starting point.
1: Yeah, for sure. If I was to say one extra one, I don't know who owns the rights to this, probably not Jack, but if Third Man Records could buy the rights, that would be great. I would love to see... uh, a re-release of the movie Mutant Swinger from Mars that features the the acting (laughs) debut of Mr. Jack White. Uh, I would love to see that movie uh, in full 1080p. Please, Mr. Blackwell, if you could make that happen for me, that would be great. I'm sure he has it in his
0: vault somewhere. Yeah, yeah. I'm incredibly jealous that you guys got to uh, meet and talk with uh, uh, Blackwell. He's like, you know, in in the spectrum of of that world and and kind of growing up in that. Like I said, I know I'm not alone, that there's got to be many people my age who are now coming up in the music industry and especially who are working on that grassroots, underground level where following these characters and their story and Blackwell is one of those absolute you know, legends, you know, I mean, I mean, somebody who from such a young age was was so close and connected to these things. And then to especially his obsessions with vinyl and all of that, Mm -hmm. you know, I I think I'd once uh, read a story that he uh, proposed to his wife by having a hidden locked groove uh, (laughs) custom made on a record. Like, I mean, that kind of stuff to me, that's so magical, you know, And, and that and those stories are what help propel people like myself to to want to seek out the avenues to engage in something like that like wow how is that done i didn't even know you could do that you know
1: yeah, and he's such a nice guy. He's such a sweet guy. Uh, sorry, Ben. I know you 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 want to have a hard edge, but he's the best. A, a, um, a couple
0: a couple years back, I, I was lucky enough to uh, be performing at South by Southwest, and there was a uh, a Third Man Records showcase going on at Beerland, and and I was just like, just so like looking around, trying trying to find, you know, like, oh man, is, is Blackwell around here somewhere? Is Blackwell around here? <laughs> you just got to look for the guy who's dangling from a
1: pipe. Bloodying in his head because he's trying to drum in a weird wacky way um yeah it it was amazing to have met him kyle thank you so much for for being on the show seriously uh paul wasn't lying we could talk to you for hours it's fascinating uh, sonophone is great i encourage all our listeners to to, to look him up and uh buy some records and to uh listen to the moon is flat which like i said has a new single out you can find it on Bandcamp. is there any any other plugs you want to you want to throw
0: yeah, so um, right now I, I basically am, am going through this period where the amount of content that I'd produced over the past five years, so about 40 recordings, I'm now pacing that content in like a year. So mm-hmm. keep an eye out on Go Away Son, Killensworth, Christopher Thomas, The Moon is Flat, Well, Citizen, The Porters. Those are those are projects that I'm really heavily involved in and they each have albums coming out over the next couple of months. Actually tomorrow, there's gonna be two albums dropping tomorrow, Killensworth and Go Away wow. Sun. And I produce both those records. Yeah, so just keep an eye on those artists and, and if if you wanna know anything about about me don't don't feel uh, uh don't be afraid to reach out and uh, if you want to know more about my artistic perspective it's usually hidden within uh me playing a lot of those tracks but you can also find my <laughs> art through uh Johnny Lee Ledford i really only trickle out like a single a year but there will be an album dropping that i've been working on for quite some time the, the, nice. the jack wouldn't be happy <laughs> cuz you know i love <laughs> I, lo- I love that he goes in and knocks stuff out in 3 days and i've been like Working on this sucker for a couple of years, but... How he, it, he
1: can't ah, be mad. He did over and over and over again. That took him, what, 15 years or something? It,
0: it, you're fine. <laughs> yeah, but you know, you know it's funny, though, is like then in Flip, like I had a song, Halls of a Howla, I'd like really been thinking about how to produce that and work on it for years. I wrote that thing when I was in high school, and mm. I just sat on it and sat on it, and then um, after I got the piano parlor uh, set, set up here at Sonophone, I just sat down on the piano, and I just like transferred it from being a guitar driven song to just being a piano and vocal song with uh, some minor drum and bass. And I pretty much recorded it in like, a, you know, a 20 minute session and then just released it. So, nice. so I, I'm still trying to get back to that, to that truth. <laughs> yeah, 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 for sure. Um, so thank you
1: so much. And uh, please come back on uh, sometime, talk, Talk music with us. Talk music to me, Kyle.
0: <laughs> oh, my one other plug is I'm also going to be filling in and doing a, uh, a special uh, performance with uh, King Mammoth, which is uh, not a oh. band that I've recorded or produced. So this is actually more exciting for me to then get to jump out of any of my comfort zones. And I'm going to be yeah. performing, uh, performing with them live at the uh, Big Building Bash, which is a, uh, uh, a big show in Seattle, June 1st. Yeah, I'm really excited for that, too.
1: Yeah. So anybody in, in the area, uh, go check that out. That's King Mammoth. And is it going to be specifically you or like as Johnny Lee Ledford or is it?
0: Yeah, I'm going to be uh, performing as Johnny Lee Ledford, uh, my stage moniker uh, on stage with them rocking rockin the synth. So. Awesome.
1: Nice. Uh, well, yeah, I, I again, I encourage all our listeners in the area uh, or not in the area. Go see that uh, June 1st. And yeah, thanks. Thanks again, Kyle. Seriously. Oh, thank you guys.
0: Podcast yeah. is great. Everything. I think you guys are just doing a great job and stay true to your guns and the style that you guys present, I think is so unique and entertaining and and full of fun. And, uh, you know, don't uh, don't be afraid to throw in. As much Carl Butterball as 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 you you need to get in, you know, because you got to get that expression out, you know.
2: (laughs) (laughs) Um,
1: (laughs) Well, uh, thanks again, and uh, let's uh, let's get back to the show.
0: All right, thanks, guys.
1: we learned so much this week. Yes. We heard from you, the listener. Yes. Oh, you're wonderful. Oh, so many listeners. Yeah. And we're going to give some thank yous here. We're going to blow through some shout-outs. We have some regular listeners we'd like to shout-out here. I would like to thank... Ben, the beer man, Blues Carnes. Ben is always there with a the comment and stuff. We would love hearing from Ben, so thank you very much, Ben. Tam Davis, thank you so much, Tam. Your support has meant a lot, particularly in this third season. As we near the end of the season, James, I'm thinking back, oh, we've done a lot this season. But Tam has been there with us through it all, so we thank Tam. Yes. And then we have Vito Hicks, the Flying Vito, who has been interacting with us more and more this season. which We really appreciate Vito. Nick Langford, laying you up from the heavens. Thank you very much, Nick. Cat, we talked about earlier in the episode and the questions, but you know what, James? At this point, I think we just got to add Cat to the list. All right. What's the nickname? I don't know what his name's going to be. Stu...
2: Leonard.
1: Stu... Stu... Stew... uh, Rock and stew. Rock stew. Stew... Stew pickles? No. Stew... 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 You... Do... Boogaloo. No, James, that's bad. Uh, Stew does rhyme with do... Okay, that's that's nothing. But thank you. Uh, I uh, at, something came up to me, but I didn't know what to stew. Stew cat black licorice. Stew cat black licorice is not bad. I don't it's, mind. That. It's not your best, but it's you know, literally it's something right now. I'm, I'm writing it down. Do cat at at, at 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 you ought to know by now. That's a Billy Joel lyric, James. <laughs> <laughs> you've had two beers and we're on a billy joel lyric what is Paul. that? stew cat black licorice i think is the best we're gonna do right now it's the best we're gonna stew i'm still stuck on the fact that stew does rhyme with do and that we could do something with that but if you don't want if you refuse james then i don't know what to stew Ugh. what are we doing what is this oh, all right God. let's end this let's let's just james let's put a fork in it a martyr for my love for stew a Martyr for My Love for Stew is very good. It's all I do I like that. Party of James. Special Things to Stew? Party of Special Things to Stew! <laughs> Lafayette Stews? Hold on. Wait, wh- which one are we going with? Are we going with Party of Special Things to Stew or A Martyr for My Love for Stew? I'd <laughs> like a martyr for my love for stew. Okay, I'm writing that one down. Martyr. And we also would like to thank Kyle Ledford our third person this week. Kyle Ledbelly Ledford? Oh, yeah, we didn't want come up with one for Kyle. Let's save that for yeah. next time, James. We can't. Yeah. This night is over. Oh boy. Let's call it right here. This is now word sewage. Yeah. This is toxic awful things coming out of our mouths. So let's let's put a Oof. pin in it. Yeah, um, sorry, Kyle. Next week. <laughs> yeah, sorry, Kyle. Next time. James, do you have some new listeners you want to shout out? Yeah, we got a few of them. We'd like to shout out Christopher Jewell. Thank you so much. Catherine Mance Frazier. Thank you so much. Nova May, Benitez Cola, Lisa Clifford. You guys have been liking things on our Facebook page. Veronica Spicer, Richard Anderson, Puffleto Ermatina <laughs> and Joe Highland, thank you so much. You guys are the best. Um, mm-hmm. If you'd like to become one of our listeners, you can do one of many things. Well, you can listen to the show. If you'd right. like to be somebody we shout out on the <laughs> you show, you can find us on Facebook at facebook.comslash thirdmen, on Twitter at thirdmencast, Tumblr, thirdmenpodcast.tumblr.com, our WordPress website, thethirdmen.wordpress.com. Email us at thirdmenpodcast at gmail.com. You can find us where we host our show at Pippa. We love Pippa. Uh, They have given us great analytics as well as great customer service. If you want to do a show, please – Pip on down to pippa mm. search us on youtube the third man on youtube or the third man podcast on youtube where i do some visualizers i'm very close to finishing another animation Ooh, we have another animation coming i'm very excited about that the last yes. one was very good james thank you very much and you can rate review and subscribe to us on itunes or wherever you get your podcasts a five-star review would be amazing and if you leave us to just the sloppiest reviews please do so and uh, if it's five stars and you screenshot it and email it to us we will give you a signed carl butterball sketch by me and some podcast swag and i will mail that to you all you have to do is screenshot it and email it to us if you don't do that i have to stress we won't know where to send you anything and we won't know that it was you that did it so all that you have to do is screenshot your review, email it to us at thirdmenpodcast@gmail.com, at gmail.com, and then we'll know where to send you your stuff. But as James said, if you leave us a review of nonsense, that is five stars. James will draw you an image of Carl Butterball and send it to you, signed, with love. He might even kiss it with lipstick. That would be all that you needed. And uh, he'll do it, you know, he'll do He has done it and he'll do it again. Reviewer German Ska or German SKA left us a review. It wasn't nonsense. In fact, it was quite a very nice review, very sweet, but they did use the word posers in it. That entitles this person, German, Mr. German, to free stuff. Mr. German Ska, if you'd like to skank on down, we will send you some wonderful Third Men podcast swag If you screenshot your review and email it to us, we'll send you a sticker or something. We'd also like to thank Sam Kubert and Tom Valenti for the help in the recording of our theme song, We're the Third Man, as well as Susanna Rautry for the lovely intros and outros of our program. And James, until next week, I will be looking for a home in the Beam family (laughs) in one of their seven generations. I'm going to go ahead and say the Colonel James M Beams generation from 1864 to 1947. Oh boy, and I will be looking for a home in my favorite 3rd Man Records release vinyl sleeve because it's made out of just the nicest soft touch cover. We'll see you next time.
2: Bye.
0: <laughs>
1: I'm very drunk. On the bottom of this sticker here, it reads, Here's to every beam who has added his own special chapter to our... Kentucky in our hearts, bourbon in our soul, and there's there's little forks on the... Oh, what is that? Is that that semen? (laughs) There's some little... (laughs) They have a little fleur-de-lis on the bottom of it. Their website is evidently drinksmart.com. That's not I right. I just learned so much about the Beam family. Listen, a-hole. Yeah. Oh, that's right. I'm looking for my phone. You're on it. Great. the two beers this is 12 percent always still
0: lawn break <laughs> dude your dad's you your dad's awesome you guys got an awesome pop fan of all the shows ready all right. sorry for how stupid this looks
2: Three <laughs> two,
0: one, go. Man, and that and that's the that's the magic of radio. Yeah.
1: <laughs> <laughs> I'm your other cohort. Well now, James, we talked about this. Sorry. I'm your... No. Other they I was. <laughs> I I have been meaning to send you to our resident psychiatrist, which I'm not remembering... I'm not remembering his name, but I want to say it's like...
2: It's like Dick Crick... Dick... Dick... Dick Punch. D- Mr. Famous race car driver, <laughs> Dick Trickle. <laughs> and you could send him right to the White House.
1: <laughs> well... Don't know why you'd send him there. That wasn't in the film. (laughs) (laughs) I was wondering why he keeps coming in. He's been coming in my house for a long time. I just thought he was a madman or a vagrant. And I was like, fine, you could use whatever in the house while I go to the bathroom. But he's been on the show. (laughs) Well, you would have have a drum kit, which would feature the ghost of Keith Moon. He Uh wouldn't be there, but the spirit would be. And if it decided to lift the drumsticks, then we would A, get great music, and B, get actual evidence on ghostly apparitions, at least the ones that were able to drum. Oh, Paul is so upset with me. And then you <laughs> would have Neil Kurt, who could. But is soldiering on. I lost power because of the thunderstorm. You lost power? Yeah. Oh, Even when the timing syncs up, life finds a way. Yeah. There's lightning, like, every five seconds outside right now, so that's fun. Yeah. Looks like I don't have internet yet. There's a shit ton of rain outside. I shouldn't have watered the plants. Paul! My plants! Too much water! Much like the seven generations of the Beam family, made a barrel-based career. Man, the drink is really hitting us hard this episode, and I love it. <laughs> Let's not stop that. Um, so, uh, oh, I missed that. Had a guy with a hat. He... he grilled a lot. No, that's... <laughs> I just had it in my head and I'm too drunk to remember. Um, yes. This is my voice on TV.
2: <laughs> okay, they they look real. They real look real. They said I couldn't make any more turkey r- r- rippers out of out of lead. I, to. I totally
1: forgot. I mean, I didn't forget about it. It's it's a part of me. Um yeah, it's that storm is rude. Didn't particularly enjoy doing, but no, uh, I I <laughs> Paul is straight up just ranking out of the bottle of Jim Beam. I love it. <laughs> uh, yeah. uh, I thought Well, it was you a might little...
2: be getting it confused with my other packages that said the Nobel Turkey, oh the in Nobel. which I won the Nobel Turkey Prize <laughs> for turkey
1: products. <laughs> wow, that must have been some really stiff competition. Who are you up against there, Carl?
2: Uh, mostly Tyson.
1: Uh, what's the Christopher Walken song? The well, you're talking to a very loose gentleman who just had a lot of <laughs> alcohol. This isn't even word salad. This is like word wood chips. It's all painful. <laughs> if you tried to you tried to eat them, it would not be good. And people for years have been telling us that they're way better than sand. I just got a flash flood alert. You got a flash flood alert. At 1:30 a.m. Wow. Uh, I just got a nerd alert for this podcast. Oof. Okay. Which I think might be a dick thing. And I'll bleep that, so... I think it's our third official full Of listener questions, that is. Yes. Um, that is, if you're a new listener, no, this is not our second or third episode, because it would be crazy if we had a weird turkey segment in the beginning with uh-huh. no context
2: that would be weird
1: although that, yeah. if you're just listening now you had zero context and I'm very sorry I didn't think I was going to need this bottle of Jim Beam I brought in here but I think <laughs> I think I do I was going to stick with the coffee yeah I I didn't think I was going to drink half a glass of very high proof beer <laughs> <laughs> but here we are and um, that answers our first listener question how drunk are you often <laughs> Dur- during the recording of these shows did, the answer did you varied. know they invented a new form of growler that comes in a can and they call it a crowler hate that
2: uh well, that's the coffee turning off okay